Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Tonight's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Kusnir, Vilma V, and Vanessa Bohm, with production assistance by Kayla Mulholland and Dorian Rizzo. This evening, we shine our lights on arte, cultura, y música de Centro America. We'll hear a commentary by our very own Nina Serrano about memory, art, and the continued struggles for justice in Latin America. We'll also hear about the exciting celebrations planned for La Peña Cultural Center's 40th anniversary. Julieta Kuznir speaks with the director of the upcoming show Andare, an installation performance piece focusing on justice, reclamation, and accountability in El Salvador. And we'll also hear from the director of the film Juan Grillo, a story about the revolution in Nicaragua told through a child's tale. And of course, we mix in some of the very best musical sounds coming from Centro America. But first, empezamos con Noticias Sin Fronteras with Vilma V. Buenas noches, this is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders from America Latina for the week ending May 24th. Guatemala. Earlier this month, the corruption scandal in Guatemala, known as La Línea, has resulted in the resignation of the vice president. Roxana Balderi resigned from her position as vice president of Guatemala when it was revealed that her personal secretary, Juan Carlos Monzón, may have been one of the key players in the multi-million dollar scam. Numerous demonstrations have been held in the capital. Iruvina Hernández, a human rights activist, said, The size of the social action shows that people are now really fed up and they are losing their fear. Activists continue to call for the resignation of Guatemalan President Otto Pérez Molina. The crisis is widely seen as affecting the presidential elections, which are scheduled for this fall in September. El Salvador. The beatification ceremony of Archbishop Oscar Romero drew an estimated 250,000 people in El Salvador last week. Thousands were able to view the ceremony from giant TV screens which were placed across the capital so that those far from the stage could bear witness to the ceremony. Beatification is the last step in declaring someone a saint. The Roman Catholic Archbishop Romero was murdered during the civil war that disrupted the small country from 1980 to 1992, where thousands were killed or disappeared. Romero was shot dead by a sniper while celebrating Mass on March 24, 1980, and no one has ever been charged with his murder. At the ceremony, Cardinal Angelo Amato stated, Archbishop Romero's spirit remains alive and gives comfort to the marginalized people of the world. Mexico. Drug-related violence continues to plague parts of Mexico. At least 42 people were killed in a deadly shootout between police and an armed gang in the western state of Michoacán. The violence is said to be drug-related with Mexican authorities attempting to control a drug cartel known locally as the Jalisco Nueva Generación. That cartel allegedly operates in Michoacán as well as in the Mexican state of Jalisco. The Michoacán gun battle happened 
just weeks after the Mexican police reported that 15 police officers were killed and five others wounded when a police convoy was attacked as it traveled toward the state capital of Guadalajara in Jalisco in early April. The region has suffered an increase in violence within the last several weeks. Also, the weather has wrought tragedy in the northern parts of Mexico. At least 13 people were killed by a tornado that hit the Mexican border city of Ciudad Acuña. Hundreds of homes were destroyed in an area which is just across the border from Texas. Acuña's mayor, Evaristo Lenin Perez, said it was the first tornado to hit Acuña since the city's founding more than 100 years ago. Severe weather also affected southern U.S. states, including Texas, where dozens of people are missing after flash floods struck the Blanco River in central Texas. Colombia. Despite FARC rebels announcing this past weekend that they were lifting their unilateral ceasefire, peace talks continue in Havana, Cuba, between the Colombian government and the FARC. The peace talks have been going on for more than two and a half years with the goal of ending Latin America's longest-running insurgency. The FARC has blamed the inconsistency of Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos's administration, which thus far has refused to declare more than a temporary ceasefire and continues to attack FARC outposts in the interior of the country. The government's default position has been to continue operations against the FARC while simultaneously negotiating with them. Outside observers have insisted that a bilateral ceasefire should be agreed upon as soon as possible. Cuba. It was announced earlier this month that the Cuban government has opened an account at an American bank. Stonegate Bank, a Florida-based bank, will host the Cuban government's finances. This is another step in the normalization between the United States and Cuba. The bank account will make it easier for Cuba to eventually reestablish an official embassy inside the U.S. Stonegate Bank CEO David Seleski said, We hope this is the initial step to normalize banking ties between the two countries, which will benefit Americans wanting to do business in Cuba, as well as the Cuban people. The two countries began reestablishing ties back in December of 2014. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item or feedback that you would like to share, email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles with a commentary about memory, both recent and historic, here in San Francisco's Barrio, the Mission District, and in Latin America. I begin with the recent in the Mission. 
San Francisco's Mission District overflowed last weekend with the flowering of poetry, art, and culture at the Flor Icanto three-day festival. All along the 24th Street Corridor, the Brava Theater, El Tecolote, Acción Latina headquarters, cafes, bookstores, restaurants, and even a bakery hosted readings of over 40 local poets, culminating with the visit of Latin America's foremost poet, Ernesto Cardenal of Nicaragua, at age 90, reading his work at the Brava Theater. All this in the midst of gentrification, rent hikes, and evictions. The embattled spirit of creativity lives. At the same time, to demonstrate the point further, the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts in the heart of the mission revived the Illusions show after a seven-year rest. Illusions, created by the avant-garde poet and visual artist Adrián Arias, is a major art happening of over 100 participating artists from many different disciplines dressed in white and over 500 audience members shoeless and dressed in black. The Illusions event began with the MCC gallery space walls and floors papered all in white. A pile of audience shoes grew at the door. All was quiet. Then, at the appointed moment, Diana Gamero's songs opened the evening. The artists and audience began to interact. Murals painting, clay sculpting, poetry writing, dancing music, installation creations, hanging red strings knotted into labyrinthical patterns, all at once by the audience and artists. Delicious organic zucchini fritters cooked in coconut oil, along with replenishing liquids and other healthy snacks that kept people reinforced and the energy high. Curator and visionary Adrian Arias said that this year's 2015 Illusions show was the biggest yet. Quote, the artists and community audience created a nonstop performance of new concepts of rituals and blessings in six and a half continuous hours. Illusions, Arias declared, is an experience of interaction in constant movement and change, unquote. And just this Sunday, the whole Bay Area turned out in the mission in thousands to celebrate Carnival. Our own La Raza Chronicles, Vanessa Bohm, played her drums for a contingent of colorful dancers. On the international front, the struggle for historical memory continues. Headline Chile. La Raza Chronicles received an internet letter from victims of torture from the Pinochet regime. Excerpts of the letter say, quote, We are 27,000 survivors of torture. There are only 117 of us who are on a hunger strike. Now is the time before a disaster occurs with a participant. We ask those outside Chile to contact political and social leaders and let them know the situation and ask them to express public support for the movement and its aims of justice, reparations, and compensation. We call for protest in front of the Chilean embassy. Experience teaches us that the way to influence this government, like previous governments, is by means of outside pressure. 
the best operating pressure comes from abroad, over which they have no control. Pinochet's arrest was a good example, and the eventual arrest of the Embassy Row murderers of Orlando Letalier in Washington, D.C. We ask those who cannot join the strike to denounce the indifference of the president and the governments not honoring the commitments made by the Chilean government to international organizations and to the strikers themselves, unquote. La Raza Chronicles will be circulating a letter of protest on the website soon. Check it out. Roque Dalton is the national poet of El Salvador and one of Latin America's foremost poets. He was murdered by his so-called comrades in guerrilla war in 1975. Today, his family calls on the Salvadoran government to denounce the murders. The government is recalcitrant because in the many maneuvers necessary to end the civil war and to form political coalitions, many compromising deals have been made. One of the murderers is even a government official. This instance, like the demand of the Chilean hunger strikers, is to keep our historic memories alive so we do not need to repeat our disasters. Roque Dalton's son, Jorge Dalton, has published this letter translated by Arnoldo Garcia and Guadalupe Vargas Ochoa. On a May 14, a day like today, my father, the Salvadoran poet, Roque Dalton, was born. He is one of the most representative of voices of the 20th century Latin American literature. The case of the assassination of Roque Dalton is one of many emblematic cases of the impunity that reigns and will continue reigning for years to come in El Salvador. Along with the massacre of Jesuit priests, the assassination of Bishop Romero, and thousands of other cases which have yet to rise to the light of truth and justice, the powers that be, whether they are of the left or the right, have conspired to conceal the truth. In the case of my father, two consecutive leftist governments of the FMLN, beginning with the coward and cynic ex-president Mauricio Funes and the present government headed by the president Salvador Sanchez Seren, have opted to do nothing and continue being complices in the concealment and clarification of truth. I consider that the FMLN party has united with, or better yet, for a long time has formed part of the pact of silence of the assassins of my father, and to top things off, protect in a vile, shameless way by having Jorge Melendez in the government, who is the ex-comandante Jonas, a former member of the FMLN, one of the confessed assassins, along with Joaquin Villalobos. They are directly responsible for the assassination of the poet Roque Dalton, the worker Armando Arteaga, and many other Salvadorans who were ordered to be shot by these two criminal minds. You can learn more about Roque Dalton, his life, and his poetry this Saturday night at 8 p.m. at La Peña in Berkeley. La Peña is presenting the international prize-winning film Fusilemos la Noche by Tina Leisch, which, using innovative film techniques and humor, explores Roque's work and extraordinary life, including prison escapes, romance, revolution, and other escapades in several countries. That's this Saturday, May 30th, 8 p.m., 
at La Peña in Berkeley. Come and say hello to me. As a La Raza Chronicles listener, I'd love to see you there. This has been Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. And thanks to Dorian Riso for his contributions tonight. listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and we are here today to talk about something pretty special to a lot of us. We're going to talk about La Peña Cultural Center, its history, where it is now, and where it plans to go in the future. We're going to talk about some very exciting events coming up, and we are lucky to have in the studio with us Laura Salazar. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Laura, so you are like me. You grew up at La Peña. You are a product of La Peña. So why don't you give our listeners context? What does that mean and what was that like? Gosh, that's the question, isn't it? La Peña is unique. I come from a family of immigrants and exiles, and I grew up where it was common to have many ex-political prisoners be a part of the conversation, be a part of the community. I was a kid running around La Peña when it was... um, when it didn't look like it does today. And it was our, our playground and our safe place, our safe haven, and a place where we overheard our parents discussing relevant matters of the time of the late 70s, early 80s. Definitely um, felt the impact of that cultural center, and it felt like home. So I know that there are certain things that drew your parents to La Peña. I want you to tell our listeners why certain folks felt like La Peña was such an essential refuge. Great question. Well, it was inspired by when the coup happened in Chile in 1973 and the movements that followed. um, A lot of people in the East Bay, specifically Berkeley, were in solidarity with those that were exiled and needed that support and a place to go. And they created together a collective space where political Discussions could take place safely and music and celebration of our cultures, not just of Chile, but of the whole Latin American and just the diaspora of being an immigrant and of color and in a new place. Just I feel like La Peña really is a metaphor for resilience for a lot of families, for a lot of communities. And it can be that place to really express that voice on so many levels. So when people think about cultural centers, unfortunately, cultural centers are not something that everyone grew up with. I feel really lucky that that was such an important part of the way I was raised. But why don't you paint a picture for folks of the many things that happened at La Peña while you were growing up that you either were part of or knew what was happening or your siblings or cousins or your parents were involved with? Definitely. I was not raised religious, but La Peña, to me, I would describe kind of like my family's church or like a safe place to go because um, we could really be ourselves there. Spanish was spoken within the walls as as well as other languages. And it just, to me, represented a, a place of safety and expression. Definitely a focus on music, live music, paintings, dancing, political events or just social gatherings for things to be discussed. I myself am an artist and muralist, and I feel definitely that was uh, supported and um, 
inspired in me in that center. So I'm speaking to Laura Salazar. She is someone who is a strong La Peña supporter, La Peña Cultural Center here in Berkeley. She grew up at La Peña, and she's still working to make sure that it serves the same purpose for families, young people, older folks, and still is relevant and essential and part of the community. So, Laura, what is La Peña up to now? I mean, it's been 40 years. It's been quite a journey. So why don't you talk to our listeners a little bit about what La Peña is up to? A lot. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here to witness and celebrate the 40 years with La Peña Cultural Center of Berkeley. Definitely has been a hub and continues to be a hub for many people, social justice, movement, art, poetry, theater, just this revolutionary dynamic spirit of art and culture. And I just feel really blessed to see this happening. And I can break down a few of our highlights for the kickoff weekend. That'd be great. And I know that our very own Nina Serrano just mentioned an event that's happening this Saturday at La Peña. So why don't you start off with that event, if that's okay? Absolutely. I'm very pleased to announce that this Saturday, May 30th at 8 p.m., Fusilimos la Noche, a tribute to Roque Dalton. For those who do not know, it was a famous poet, um, rest in peace, from El Salvador. And this was a documentary film, very well received, about this person uh, covering his political struggle against the Salvadorian dictatorship and his many adventures, including escaping the death penalty twice and including his exile to Mexico, Prague, and Cuba. And just um, it's interspersed with his poetry and his spirit. So we're very excited to experience that as well as... Um, the evening will feature the Chilean songwriter Angela Roa. She will grace the stage as well as some surprise featured panelists. Like you said, we do have a lot. There is a lot to cover, and I'm really excited to announce that we're having a lot of free events, all ages. I want to just be really clear about that. All ages and during the day, a lot of free featured events. Thursday, June 4th will be our kickoff. We will have a Latin dance party at 7.30 p.m. And also in the lounge, we're going to have a mega mic, a people's mic. June 6th at La Peña, 7 p.m., all ages, Beyond Dreams. This is a Raji curated event, and it will be featuring the performing live group will be Rupa and the April Fishes, Rico Pabon, Ariel Loki, Kiwi Elefante, including DJ Ladies. And there's also going to be an interesting immigration panel discussion with guest speakers Rosa Clemente and David D. So that just gives folks a sense of the range. There's a huge, huge range. So there are a lot of people that maybe they grew up at La Peña and they're thinking, you know, when I think of La Peña, I think about a beautiful place to hear maybe more traditional music or learn how to dance cueca or something like that. You know, more like very traditional arts, which are so essential, but maybe they don't know so much about these other more hip-hop or youth-oriented, like the open mic so they may not know about. How do you see La Peña now in terms of the community that it wants to serve? Interesting question. Well, I'm a mixed-race child, and I grew up in the East Bay, and I feel like um, Oakland in and of itself is mestiza. I see that dynamic quality appearing more and more with every generation. I'm part of the second gen. I see um, a lot of hip-hop being welcomed into La Peña more and more, a lot more youth shows, youth programming, all-age events, a lot of family shows. I see a lot of fusions happening, and that's what makes it unique and beautiful when different cultures can come together and create a new 
a new dynamic piece of art. So Laura, I know that La Peña has shifted and changed in a lot of ways to meet the needs of the community that's grown and changed around it. So why don't you give us a sense of the breadth and the diversity of La Peña programming? Absolutely. Well, something that comes to mind is Sunday, June 7th. We have three instructors uniting for a workshop jam session. So we have Shefali Shah, Hector Lugo, and Maria de la Rosa uniting rumba, son jarocho, y bomba y plena. And I think that's a beautiful representation of what it means to be Latino, mestiza, represent La Peña's 40th to the fullest, and just create this beautiful medley of culture. That event is also followed by the new Vision Reception uh, with our new executive director at 4 p.m., Aaron Lorenz. So I know that there are probably folks wondering, we're going to hopefully have him on soon, but how are people like you that grew up at La Peña feeling about La Peña's future? I feel confident in the future. I'm an artist. I'm, I'm accustomed to taking risks and trusting, and I feel like with anything that is to be sustainable, we have to have faith in, in the changes. Just like a year has seasons, a winter, spring, fall, summer, La Peña is going to go through that too. I mean, it's a time to celebrate. It's not a time to be upset. So I'm, I'm just very excited about these changes because that means things are just going to keep, keep growing, keep changing, keep moving forward. And that's what we want. We want sustainability. So what are ways that people can support La Peña? Donating your time is one of the most valuable things, and we definitely cherish that. Just starting the conversation. We're always open to hearing folks out and, and working with you because we're all a community and we want to we wanna just move forward together. So La Peña really thrives on volunteer activism. I'm a volunteer. That's how I started. And um, we'd be happy. We'd be happy to work with you. Great. And so how can people stay up on the events happening at La Peña and learn more about some of the great events? You mentioned a lot of them. So why don't you give people a way to stay connected to La Peña? Sure thing. LaPena.org. Please check us out. And I'm very excited about this 40-year celebration. It's definitely a packed month of art, culture, music, heritage, and solidarity. That's the voice of Laura Salazar. She is a longtime La Peña supporter. She is going to be probably supporting at a lot of these events. The thing about La Peña, it's primarily volunteer run. So a lot of the folks who love La Peña are also involved with keeping it going. So thank you so much, Laura, for your time. Thank you.
Coming up next, a song by the Nicaraguan band La Cuneta Sol Machin, which we'll be having on our program very, very soon. And we know it's going to be something you won't want to miss. This song is called Lucero by the band La Cuneta Son Machin. was a song Lucero by the Nicaraguan band La Cuneta Sol Machin. 
You're listening to Las Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. To stay up on our news, you can like our page on Facebook, or you can listen to the show again, soundcloud.com slash Chronicles. I'm very lucky to have in the studio here with us today, Marta Leclerc. She is a longtime media maker, culture worker, who is from Nicaragua and did some extensive work supporting the revolution there and also creating a beautiful film that is something that was meant for children but, but really can be enjoyed by anyone at all ages. So Marta, thank you so much for joining us here in the studios. Uh, you're welcome, Julieta. Marta, so you have made a visit for us today to talk about this film, Juan Grillo. It, it's a film that you are going to take back to Nicaragua and connect with some of the many people that were involved. But before we get into all those great details, why don't you just start off by giving us an overview of terms of what was happening in Nicaragua and about this film? At the time I started working on um, this production, Juan Grillo, it was 1984, and it was a time when it was a difficult time for Nicaraguan people since we were being attacked by the Contra War. We also had a, an economic embargo. So it, it was very hard times from Nicaragua. And in regard to the war, there was a lot of uh, suffering in my country, especially for the young people who had been drafted to go fight the Contras. We lost lots of life during that time, young men, young women, women who lost their husbands, and it was really sad. But the, at the same time, there was a lot of commitment and solidarity among the population. We were committed, and we had a lot of hope, and there was a lot of passion and a desire to support, you know, and be together. That's the voice of Marta Leclerc. She's talking about the time during which she's made the film Juan Grillo. So you mentioned hope. Yes, definitely. This film, which I got to see, has a lot of hope. Tell people about the story of Juan Grillo. It all started when the evil giant Macho Malo threatened the mythical land of Maizcalpa. And that's when the young hero Juan Grillo sets out to break the spell cast over his homeland. Uh, Grillo, that's Juan Grillo, as you you know that, right? Grillo means cricket uh, in Spanish. And, and it was a uh, cricket. Grillo was the real code name of a 10-year-old Nicaraguan boy named Luis Alfonso Velázquez Flores, who bravely delivered important messages to his community and inspired them with passionate speeches. He was very well known for that. When he grabbed a phone and talked to the crowds, he was very inspiring and amazing to hear him. Okay, in general, the film um, beautifully blends art, dance, and music as a metaphor for Nicaraguan history. And a very important element that we use, it was the green screen technology that allows the characters to interact with the background, a background that was made up of folkloric paintings, bringing the scenery to life. That's the magic of my film, where you can see people moving in and out of beautiful landscapes and houses and palaces and caves. And it's just the wonderful visual effect of, of uh, the green screen. Another thing that's really incredible is the amount of different people that are involved. So who got involved to make this incredible film? Well, like the production of and uh, making of this film was only possible with the collaboration of 
23 young dancers and choreographers from the Nicaraguan National School of Dance. That was an incredible collaboration that I had. These people, when I approached them and asked them if they would like to create the choreography, they gave themselves totally to the task and uh, the main teachers initially wanted to be in charge of the choreography, but later on it was passed on to the young choreographer Veronica Arana Juarez and Ligia Espinosa. So when you, if you watch the film, you will see these dancers were 10, 11, 12, 16, 17 years old, and two little girls that they were like eight years old. So that was pretty amazing. And they spent like six months rehearsing and creating this wonderful choreography. All it was a free, it was a donation. They didn't charge anything for that. It was just, like I said, everybody was so willing to support and give whatever they could to work on projects such as this one. We also had... 11 prominent painters from Nicaragua. These are painters belong to the style of, uh, we call it primitive paintings or folk uh, paintings. And some of them came from the Solentiname Islands, which is uh, the place where the poet Ernesto Cardenal founded the School of Fine Arts. And that's why we have this wonderful art called primitive art. So we have these 11 uh, uh, artists who created incredible work that became the background of, of my film. We also have the mus our musician Luis Enrique Mejia Godoy, who did all of the ori original music and scores. And the wonderful thing about Luis Enrique is that he added his poetry to the lyrics. So it enhanced the beauty of the story with his uh, songs and his uh, lyrics. That was uh, Luis Enrique Mejia Godoy. And as we have also had the participation of uh, two internationalists who did the wardrobe and the prop designers, and of course the invaluable technical crew from the national television station of that time, named Sistema Sandinista. So that was the incredible group of people, you know, who made this possible. And above all, my graphic designer, Felipe Flores, who was the one who created a storyboard that had the exactly the sketches and the ways the, of the paintings were going to be created. So and that facilitated the task, you know, of communicating to the painters how these paintings should be done in order to have a successful background, you know, for the actors. We're speaking to Marta Leclerc about her film Juan Grillo, which was made in the time of the revolution with a lot of hope and people dedicated so much energy to make this a reality. So Marta, you spent two years making this. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what brought you making this film? Because your experience had been working in TV, Sandinista TV, and you'd really dedicate yourself to preserve and maintain and add to the revolutionary spirit. Initially, when I, I went back to Nicaragua in 1979, I started producing uh, educational television for the Ministry of Education for two years. And then I went and back to the, I, I, I was hired at the Sistema Sandinista de Televisión when I created the popular children's character called Chocoyito Chimbarón. And I was the head of the coordinator of the programs, of the, the children's programs at that time. Then in 84, I decided to quit my job because I, I had the urge to work independently, and that's what I did. Then I started working for this uh, film, Juan Grillo, and like you said, it took me two years. And at that time, it came to me the story. I decided this is an amazing opportunity 
you know, and an, an incredible work to be done in Nicaragua because this film, is it was created to honor the life of Luis Alfonso Velázquez Flores, the young Nicaraguan hero. And the story is a celebration of his life. It's not exactly what he did or how he presented himself in that time, but it's just a celebration of his life. And so I, it was really important for me since I had been working with children's television and I was working for the Department of Early Childhood Education at the Ministry of Education. So here we are. We need to do a children's uh, film based on this incredible boy who represented a lot for our history. And what I loved about the story is that it's, it's history. It's the metaphor of Nicaragua. You know, it's, it's an allegory, you know, the child, the hero child, a program that is really perfect for children of all ages, while its deeper meaning remain accessible to conscious adults everywhere. Martha, so this story really captures a lot of Nicaraguan history, which many people here maybe don't know or understand what was happening in those revolutionary years. What is the importance of the film Juan Grillo now, and what is how is it relevant to either young people or people who grew up in the revolution? What does it? Yes, what's yes. its role now? Yeah. First of all, let me add a little bit about Luis Alfonso Velázquez Flores, who he was ten years old when he was uh, killed uh, by the by the death squads by the military in Nicaragua. He was born in May of 1979, and he was killed in 1979, merely three months before the triumph of the revolution. So uh, that was an important to remember, you know, to to honor and to acknowledge his sacrifice, his his the gift that he gave to the country, you know, and to the children and to history. So this story, I think the story of Juan Grillo is the story of what happened to Nicaragua, is the story of what happens to all third world people in the world, you know, who are controlled by, by dictatorships, supported by imperialisms, and that have license to fight for, for dignity, for sovereignty, and for justice. So that's the story, you know, it it is a uh, appropriate for the schools, for adults to show it, to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, to learn about history of, of Latin America. When you look at this film, you can relate to the history of Guatemala, of El Salvador, of, you know, many other countries in the world, too. And a teacher looked at my film and he said, oh, how important it would be to create a folk tales of this nature for every single country in this in the world that has similar situation like Nicaragua, you know, so that was pretty interesting to hear. So, Marta, I know that you have a lot of dreams and visions, and you're going to actually go back to Nicaragua to present this film. It's almost like Juan Rio, this film, has a second life. So tell our listeners about it. Exactly. I just love the way you have said it, because... And my logo is, help me keep Juan Grillo alive, right? I will talk about a, an Indiegogo campaign that is going on at this time. But first, let me tell you the reason why I want to take Juan Grillo to Nicaragua. First of all, because it's important to remember history. It's important to educate young young people, children who don't know very much about what happened and seeing history through a beautiful media, you know, with dance and, and music and paintings is um, an incredible way to, to teach history to children. And I want to take it to acknowledge the work that everybody did to create this uh, piece. But above all, you know, right after I finished this production, 
and I had to come back to the United States, and the film was not publicized that much. It was not promoted, and so I felt I had a commitment. You know, I had a responsibility to take it back to Nicaragua. So I went to Nicaragua about last November. I contacted like one-third of the cast. Everybody was so happy to know that we were going to get together, you know, and screen my film. And we, I have two screenings planned at the uh, Ispamer Library, at the Pablo Antonio Cuadra Cultural Center, and one is going to happen on July 31st, which is uh, Luis Alfonso Velázquez Flores' birthday. He was born in July 31st of 1969, and on that night of of July of this year, we're going to gather and show the film and celebrate everyone. And also, I want to distribute the DVDs to libraries and in Managua and, and other towns. And I want to also give freely my DVDs to schools and everyone in the cast will get a DVD too and share them with televisations. So everybody gets to know something that took so much energy and so much creativity. It is a film made by Nicaraguan, totally, you know, music, art, story, history, everything. So, Marta, I'm sure there are people listening that want to see this film, and they also want to support you as you take it back to Nicaragua and allow you to reach as many people as possible. How can they do that? How can they support you? Well, you know, now that the film is digital, I need to distribute it widely. And my priority is to bring it back to Nicaragua, as I mentioned, and and I mentioned about my, my screenings, but I also need support because your donation will enable me to update and improve the quality of my film, uh, design a DVD package and reproduce an amount large enough so that I can participate in these screenings and freely distribute them. And uh, so if you are so generous, I would really appreciate it if you can go to Indiegogo.com. You can only type Juan Grillo or please help keep Juan Grillo alive. Help me with whatever you can. Any amount will be welcome. And the campaign ends on June 15th. So urge you to go and support because you're supporting also to keep the memory alive, the memory of Juan Grillo and the memory of those times, you know, of a revolution and everybody who contribute and help. We've talked a lot about the energy of solidarity and hope that people felt in the time that you made this film. People came together from all different disciplines. It really just so many different people wanted to support your project. Also, the energy of building a better Nicaragua. So tell us a little bit about that time, because watching this film, that's really what I walk away with. You can feel that. You can feel the energy that people have of triumph and an alternative. So tell us a little bit about what that felt like. I'm a Nicaraguan, of course, and I I came to this country in 1970. So in 1979, I went back to Nicaragua. And that's when, the moment I got there, that's what I can feel. My heart felt like I was so happy and excited, you know, to be part of this incredible experience to go back to my country and support with a little grain of salt, you know, in whatever I, I could. And I could observe that among people, you know, like we were working, everybody had a full time job on weekends, we have to go work with the community, with the barrios, we contribute with the literacy campaign. And in regard to, like, if you were working on a film, like I was working for the television station or for the Ministry of Education, and I needed a song, you know, to to accompany the, the 
developmental stages of children's drawing, another film that I made in Nicaragua, you approach a, a singer or an artist, and they will happily help you. Anybody would do anything to support, you know? It's like you will sacrifice yourself. You will do things on weekends. You stay up at night because we were doing, like, surveillance, you know? We were supposed to stay in our jobs at night, like maybe once a week, or like in the neighborhood, you stay up at night with everybody just walking around the block, just making sure that everybody will be safe because it was hard times you know at that time we were so afraid we were going to be invaded and that we were going to be bombed at any time sometimes we found ourselves on weekends building bomb shelters you know which was kind of sad you know because that time we could have been used to do something better you know more productive even though that meant to be safe you know but it was really sad to invest our energy in things like that and uh, to see, you know, everything, all the cultural centers, all the puppet shows that were being created in different places. Like in, in my film, you know, I have the, the children's choir. That's how you say in English, coro. They participated. So it was like a, a collective, you know, effort, everybody. And also defending our country, you know. And it's so sad because this control war was so criminal, you know, just financed by the CIA, you know, doing such an incredible work, trying to move ahead and create a new world, a new society. and But everything was against against the people of Nicaragua, against the government, you know. That was the sad part, you know. That's part of the reason that it's your film is still so relevant, because like you mentioned, not everyone understands that history or not everyone has that feeling of the time of people coming together and really imagining and working towards a better country. So I think that you mentioned that there are some young people who their parents were a part of this film and that they yes. maybe didn't know the history. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I have the example of one of the dancers looked at my trailer in Indiegogo campaign and her 10-year-old daughter watched it and she was so amazed. She could not believe that her mom, who looked, was at that time 15 years old or 16, was dancing there, you know. But then the mother told me, but you know something, Marta, what she really loved it and what she was interested in, it was in the history. I said, and I was so happy when I heard that, you know, because that's the impact that this film can have in children, you know, learning about history, you know, seeing how people together, they can reb rebel and accomplish, you know, do something for their communities, for their people, you know, together they will do it. They can free themselves by organizing. And this film is about that, you know, it's about breaking a spell, like, you know, it's like, Juan Grillo meeting the wise men from who lived in the mountains who tells him how to be free, which means how can you be free? You have to become the light to get rid of darkness. That's what it is. It's you become light to fight darkness. And that's what it is. Symbolically, that's what it is. But it is about, to me, it was so amazing when I got to Nicaragua. And there are two little girls who participated in my film who, are, who were at that time eight-year-old. These two girls happen to be the main feature of this uh, uh, international film named uh, Car Carla's, uh, Carla's Song and Oyanka, the, the main actress there. And it was a beautiful film who crossed over one and it was nominated for Academy Awards in Europe. And then the other little girl also was the main um, uh, feature person in the film named Yuma. And I can see the trajectory, you know, seeing in retrospective, all these young people, they are teaching yoga, they're 
choreographers, they're teaching dancing, and they have this vision, you know, of supporting the community, that doing something for society and for themselves. And I also want to share that my film was premiered in 1988 in the International Film Festival, the Habana Film Festival in 1988, and it won a choral award. That We are very proud that our film was acknowledged, you know, in that way. That's the voice of Marta Leclerc. She's talking about her film Juan Grillo, which she is bringing back to Nicaragua and sharing this important history with young people, with folks who lived through the revolution. And it's something that people in the U.S. can also benefit from, because even if you don't speak Spanish, it now has subtitles. So you can also benefit from it. So muchísimas gracias, Marta, por estar con nosotros. And hope folks look up your campaign on Indiegogo. Thank you for inviting me, Julieta. Up next, a song by the Guatemalan singer and songwriter Gabby Moreno. This song is called Blues de Mar.
You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA 94.1 FM community-powered radio in Berkeley. If you would like to hear this program again or share it with others, go to soundcloud.com and search for La Raza Chronicles. Make sure to like us on Facebook for regular updates on news, arte, cultura y música del mundo latino. Hasta el próximo martes. Stay tuned next Tuesday for more of La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza.